The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Good, and we'll transition into the talk. It's really, I know it can sound a little, well, not for everyone to say it this way, but I really, even this strange Zoom world, hybrid world we exist in now, I really see it, sense it as a sacred space. And whether you're alone or whether you're with other folks right now, we're together. And what really brings us together is we have this shared intention around getting to know the nature of the heart and mind, the nature of experience, the nature of reality, and finding real value and connecting with the Buddha and the Buddhist teachings as a real support. And it's truly amazing that this articulation that comes from this person who lived 2,500 years ago, completely different time, completely different culture, that somehow that articulation is still functional and useful for us. So, you know, so far away from that, his insights and his understanding and his attempt to articulate what his mind had come to understand. So I find that yeah, a minor miracle that um, we can, uh, yeah, that we can benefit these many years later. So uh, a lot of you know we've studied the first tetra, the first four instructions, which is really learning to bring this loving, wise attention to the physical body. And we use the breath as the anchor initially and then widen it out to include the whole body, and then include the healing effect, which is that bodily well-being. It's sort of the natural, lawful result of the knowing mind being unafraid to be intimate and non-judging with the physical body, the sensations of the body. And so the calm comes not because our body's in perfect shape, we're young, vibrant, we've stretched, we've got a good massage, and so our body feels really good, but that bodily well-being, that bodily calm comes because we've learned, we've trained awareness to be unafraid, to be intimate with the body. And to sense that subtle pleasure of being intimate, being beyond the need to judge, to fix. I'm not saying we never want to sort of turn our attention to the place in the body where there's pain and kind of peel back the layers and help that physical knot unwind. There's a place for that. But the point for these first four instructions is to access bodily calm, bodily well-being, because that allows the heart to trust the present moment in a deeper way which makes the fifth instruction possible, where the Buddha invites us to breathe in and to sense joy, to get interested in joy. And joy here is that sense of the moment, of the experience of the moment, alive with change, alive with movement. Bodily sensations, sounds, sights, or moving thoughts, emotions, feelings, moving, everything is moving and wherever we sense that in our experience, 
we sense the lightness of the mind not imagining or imposing that it's fixed, it's solid, but we're sensing how alive the present moment moment is. Now remember, when we're practicing with this fifth step, breathing in, experiencing joy, breathing out, experiencing joy, it requires some confidence. If, we're, if we don't have a little confidence, we're not going to be interested in joy because we'll be arrogantly sure there's no joy. <laughs> Why would I look for it? So we have to be, like in order to be interested, there has to be some confidence that having done the first four instructions well enough, not perfectly, have experienced enough of that bodily well-being, trusting the present moment enough, it just might be that the wisdom can sense the aliveness of the present moment, the movement, the fluttering, the vibration, the tingling, the vibrational quality, that something is alive here and now. And it might start very subtly, very faint, somewhere in our experience of the body and the mind. Just feel, And the joy is that joyful interest, like, wow, it's a sense of awe, a sense of wonder, a sense of how alive, how everything is happening on its own. And then the practice is keeping that particular quality that we call piti or joy in mind. As we breathe in, as we breathe out, we're going to want to pay attention to a lot of other things, but that's why it's a training. Can we keep joy in mind? And that's why I mentioned that for any of these steps, it might be useful at some point to use a little meditation word or phrase. Could be like at this point, experiencing joy. And you repeat that silently in your mind as you're breathing in, experiencing joy, or just the word joy, or lightness, or whatever word for you is sort of a manifestation of your confidence that joy is available for human beings even when the life is like this. Now, when circumstances are difficult, it just becomes harder to connect to this joy. So I clear clearly, you know, there are moments when joy will be more apparent and moments when it will be less apparent. But regardless, it's a good training, you know, especially when we're learning the map. When we've learned the map, then when we practice, we don't have to always follow it in a linear way. But now we're learning it in this more linear way. And when we can keep joy in mind with the breath in and the breath going out and enough confidence, joy has an effect on the mind. And so, in a sense, awareness steps away from kind of a kind of enmeshment and identification with the joy. It steps away and it notices sort of something wider, like what effect has the joy had on the heart and mind? Oh, there's more of a willingness to trust. The heart has, the heart and mind has more of a willingness to relax, to put down defensiveness, to put down a need to get somewhere, to become somebody. So a lot of those disrupting, disturbing effects of wanting, becoming, fixing, controlling, get diminished 
through paying attention to joy. And then when we step back, because the next instruction, the Buddha says, one trains oneself while breathing in, experiencing that ease, sukha, that happiness of ease, that happiness of contentment, as you're breathing in, as you're breathing out. So it's a more resonant happiness than the joy. The joy is brighter, may feel like there's a lot more energy, but it turns out that the happiness of ease, contentment, is a more profound or a more healing kind of happiness. And we want to keep that more refined happiness in mind while we breathe in, while we breathe out. And really let the pleasantness of sukha, of that inner happiness, that happiness of contentment, really let that pleasure have its effect on the mind. So then when we do the next step, so that's step five and six is the joy to the ease. Then step seven, we step away or step, not away, but we step back from the beautiful quality of ease, the pleasurable ease. And then we're breathing in and we're experiencing the activity. Well, one of the activities will be that experience of ease. But now as we're breathing in, we're aware that that ease, that pleasure of the ease, is something being known. So we're taking a more spacious look at the ease. It's just one aspect of mental activity. It's an important one. And it might even, if, if we've got some momentum, be the predominant experience there, the ease. But now we're aware Precisely because there is the pleasure of the ease, we can begin to explore this pleasure of being with mental activity without picking and choosing, without having a problem with mental activity. Just like we did in the earlier tetrad, step three, where we were breathing in, experiencing the whole body. Now we're breathing in, experiencing all of the activity of mind. When we were experiencing the whole body, we were experiencing the activity of the body, the sensations, right? Now we're, now we're experiencing the kind of equivalent on the mental level. Thoughts, feelings, feeling tones, perceptions, whatever the, the mind, the mental activity is. We're breathing in, we're aware there is mental activity, and we're not picking and choosing, and we're not feeling like I got to do some dharma move because the mental activity is this way or that way. I'm just aware of mental activity, even if it's bad mental activity, you know, judging mind or condemning mind or whatever it might be. We're just noticing it as mental activity, skillful, unskillful, neutral, as we breathe in, as we breathe out. And the operative word here is dispassion. And it's really good to maybe transform how we normally might think of that word, dispassion, because it's really about, um, sometimes we, you've heard that phrase, maybe bare attention, where we're really intimate, we're really there, we're not distant, we're not detached, we're really intimate, but precisely the intimacy is dependent on the dispassion like that awareness of mental activity exists, 
because the mind that's knowing isn't entangled with the particular feeling tone, the particular pleasure, or the particular pain, or the particular perception, the particular idea that's formed in the mind. It just knows it's just another thing in the forest of mental activity, just another thing that comes and goes lawfully, dependent on what's been set in motion in the mind. This is how, you know, this is the activity of mind. In the same way that we had to learn to be okay with the activity of the body, or well, this is how the body is. It's just sensations coming and going, moving, intensifying, releasing. Same thing with mental activity and feeling tone and perceptions, just stuff happening. And this is a, a really, a like, you know, in a way, a life-changing insight. Sometimes comes on gradually over months and months of practice, sometimes in more sudden bursts. But basically, this shift where we realize mental activity doesn't have to be the demon, doesn't have to be the bad guy. It isn't a problem that there's mental activity, right? It's like that's that aspect of the mind, that's what it does. It just, there's, a, there's an inherent restlessness to being a human being. You know, as long as we're alive, there is visual experience and auditory experience and smells and tastes and touches. The movement of physicality never ceases. And because we have sensitivity to mental activity, we realize there's also this very deep and wide river of mental activity that never ceases or rarely ceases. And when it ceases, it's really more that the attention is no longer attending either to the body or to mental activity. But it's really in the nature of this embodied existence that physicality and mentality move on ceaselessly. There is no ending to it. And that's okay, because we're realizing with this training, the seventh step, where we're breathing in, experiencing mental activity, breathing out, experiencing mental activity. And what's implied here in the Buddha's instruction is experiencing with dispassion, with that kind of spaciousness. Oh yeah, just mental activity being known. A despicable thought, a wholesome thought, a painful feeling tone, a pleasurable feeling tone, an interesting perception, a boring perception, just mental activity being known. And you can really see that that earlier work of recognizing joy, recognizing ease, and just generally the pleasure of being present and the pleasure of not having, like just allowing everything to be, right? We've learned to let the body be. Now we're learning to let mental activity be. That's also pleasurable. And that builds this confidence in the experience, this dispassionate way of being with mental activity. And lo and behold, this is what leads to the quieting of the mind. Breathing in, experiencing or calming. It's not so much that we're directly, as a practitioner, calming the mind. But we're noticing cause and effect here. 
the dispassionate, open, non-judging, non-controlling, non-fearful way of being with thoughts is in fact what lawfully quiets the thinking mind, evens out the feeling tongue, more neutral, simplifies, quiets the thinking mind. And that's like a useful thing to know because there are times when our mind, the thinking mind, is really oppressive, you know? And so it would be nice to know the lawful, guaranteed way to support the quieting of the thinking mind. Because our usual strategy is to think, why am I thinking so much? <laughs> How could I make this stop? We think that thinking is the way to make stuff happen. But thinking about thinking too much it's just more thinking, of course, and just adds to the stress. The stress of thinking is the identification with the thoughts. And that just turns out to also be the fuel for more mental activity. Being identified with mental activity is the cause for more mental activity. Being dispassionate with mental activity is the cause for the quieting of mental activity. And this is good to really memorize so that when you do feel like your mind is obsessing in a way that's really unproductive and painful, and the compassion, self-compassion arises, I'd really like to do something that actually helps reduce this obsessiveness in the mind. You'll remember, because you've memorized, oh yeah, that's right, I remember the Buddhist teachings where he said that identifying, taking the mental activity personally is what feeds it. Now remember, you may realize that, oh, this obsessing is not me, it's not mine, I want it to stop. But you're still identified with it in the sense of, I'm the one who has to stop doing this as opposed to realizing this is just mental activity being known. And so this part of this insight, and it's really this training at step 11, uh, step seven rather, is really learning to step back. I mean, that's just a phrase. We don't actually step back. In a way we're stepping in, we're getting more intimate. But there's a sense of Distance, but that's really the wisdom that knows it's just mental activity being known. It creates that sense of dispassion, of space, but not, not the space like I've repressed thinking. I've, through force of will, I've made myself stop thinking, and so now there's no thinking going on. It's precisely because I don't need to do something with the thoughts, and also I don't need to get rid of the thoughts. It's that because of the uh, confidence that comes from sensing the inner pleasure, that bodily well-being, the pleasure of joy, the pleasure of ease, the pleasure of seclusion, right? then we're willing to observe mental activity in this more 
this wiser way. Oh yeah, it's just this activity. Perceptions, feeling tones, thoughts, whatever the mind's doing, it's just that, activity being known. And then we start connecting the quieting with that uh, um, dispassionate observation. And then that just reinforces, like knowing the mind is quieting and noticing the pleasure of a more quiet mind, the pleasure of simplicity really, then it just really matures in a beautiful way. And so in the next few weeks, we'll talk about the third tetrad and we'll just, I'll just mention a little bit about it now. And you probably remember, some of you have been studying the Buddha's 16 steps for his mindfulness of breathing instructions, the Anapanasati Sutta, which is just the Buddha's discourse on breathing in and breathing out. But of course, it's the whole path. It's not just about mindfulness of breathing. As I've often said, the breath is only in the forefront for the first few steps. Most of the 16 instructions are really working with more subtle aspects of our present moment experience, especially the nature of the mind itself. And that's where we're going now with the third group of four instructions. So this would be number 9, 10, 11, and 12, the third, what's called the third tetrad, the third group of four instructions. And they're really, the next three are really the same thing, but just in more steady, subtle ways. We're observing not the activity of the mind, but the space of the mind itself, the space of the knowing mind, the space of the present moment. Not the activity of the body, not the activity of the mind, but what is not those two things? Well, there's just one thing left, right? There's three things you could say in the present moment. There's activity of the body, that, by that we mean the five physical senses, seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, and touching, being known. There's that activity. There's the activity of thought. Generally, we talk about that as perceptions and feeling tones and mental formations or mental constructions, thoughts, right? And then there's the knowing or the space. You, and it's, you know, words are going to be imperfect with the third tetrad. So whether you call it the space of the conscious mind or the space of the knowing mind or awareness or the space of the present moment, a lot of us find the word space a useful concept to help get a sense, you could say, to help intuit because we know this space and eventually learn to trust it and abide, concentrate and liberate it. Not so much directly, like, you know, we can directly bring awareness to a sensation in the body. We can directly bring awareness to a thought, even a thought being much more ephemeral than a sensation or a sound or a sight. But still, we can be aware of a particular thought I can even make my mind repeat the thought, you know, having the thought, this talk's going to be over soon, <laughs> you know. I can redo that thought and I can observe, oh, this is what a thought is. This is that thought being known. But awareness, the space of awareness, the space of the mind, the mind itself, we can intuit it, we can sense it, but it isn't as easily 
grasped in a way. I mean, we can grasp the idea of the mind, the idea of the empty, still, peaceful, spacious mind. We could probably write a 400-page book, <laughs> right, if we grasp the idea. We could just do riffs on the idea of the mind. But what we're interested in the third tetrad <clears throat> is a direct knowing, a direct experiencing, a direct abiding with, intuiting, resting with the mind, the heart, the present moment. So the, just to review before we uh, end, because this is where we'll go in the next weeks, the Buddha says, uh, while breathing in, breathing out, we're experiencing the mind, we're gladdening the mind, we're concentrating, stilling the mind, purifying even. And then the last of these, of this uh, third tetrad is liberating the mind. Or you could say releasing the mind. Because the mind has in its nature no grip. The mind isn't in its nature dependent on anything. And so with this next study, using these next four trainings to experience, to gladden, to concentrate, and to release the mind. That's the training now for the third tetrad, to realize or to recognize the space of the mind, to gladden it, appreciate it, notice its peacefulness, to bring that peacefulness to its sort of most refined peacefulness, that's the concentration piece, and to liberate it. And to liberate it is, you know, or to release it, it's kind of like the way I might think of this, of course, intellectually, because we're using words now, but we're realizing the mind that's not dependent on anything. Not grasping, unfixed. So we're realizing that mind that's free of any fixation, any grasping, any idea of somebody having a peaceful mind. And it's a, it's a deep insight or learning about the nature of the mind. Because we don't really understand our experience as a human being without fixations, like being fixed unconsciously often, fixed with the idea that I'm here having my experience. We don't realize all the ways the mind is bound. So when we do the, the four instructions, the trainings with the third tetrad, experiencing the mind, gladdening the mind, concentrating the mind, which is really refining the peacefulness of non-grasping and then realizing this mind is empty of selfing, empty of any fixed idea of self. There's no location for this mind. There's no fixedness for this mind. And that's a particular experience to see the mind in that way. It feels free, unbound. And then when we get to the fourth tetrad later in the fall, or maybe even in January, we'll see, but when we get to the fourth tetrad, 
it's really deepening that insight that arises, maturing that insight, integrating that insight that arises in the third tetrad, the beginnings of it in the third tetrad. Let me read a little from uh, a couple sources before we end our time today. One of the new readings there is from Andy Olensky, a wonderful Buddhist scholar, one of the was the uh, executive director and scholar at the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies for many years. Um, still does quite a bit of teaching online. And this is a nice article that you can read because it's in this document. Um, and those of you who are live streaming or listening to this later, you can always find this document, this Google Doc, on the calendar event for the Sunday morning program. So when you look at the Common Ground Meditation Center's calendar, where you find the link, the Zoom link for this program. You also find the link for this Google Doc that we have in the chat right now for people. And it's called the article by Andy Olensky or Andrew Olensky, Keep It Simple, The Gift of Awareness. And he wrote it for Tricycle Magazine back in 2014. So let me just read a couple paragraphs. Knowing as an event does not belong, knowing that the event does not belong to anyone or need to be constrained by the thinking of thoughts, this is an alien idea for many in the modern world because, because so much of our mental activity consists of thoughts, images, concepts, and words. It seems inconceivable that the mind might manifest in powerful ways devoid of thought. Yet you can feel this for yourself, so to speak, here and now. It might take some practice and 20 minutes of letting go of one thing after another, but the simple event that is consciousness, that unadorned episode of awareness, is accessible to direct experience. Like the dimmest of stars in a night sky, it slips away if you try to pin it down. But if you learn to release hold of the clutter and pry the mind out of the grooves and channels in which it is accustomed to run, you can feel it spilling out and spreading formlessly in other directions. And so what Andrew, Andy is talking about here is really step seven and eight, where we're learning to be aware of mental activity with dispassion and seeing the quieting of the mind. And as there's less intoxicating mental activity than what comes now into the foreground and wisdom is naturally going to be interested in, in it is the sense of space of the mind or space of the present moment. And there's another paragraph I wanted to read here. So this is a couple pages later. He writes, the information provided by the senses is no longer of great interest, right? So we have six senses, the five physical, and then the sensitivity to mental activity. So he's saying the mind's less and less interested in what's coming through these six sense gates and serves merely as a support for something far more captivating, the quality of knowing. And Andy continues writing, Awareness itself becomes the most compelling object of awareness. This simple knowing, so peaceful, so clear, 
so open, seems diminished by and even wasted upon the narrow confines of mere thoughts. As the thinking about things is gradually squeezed out of the mind by filling the senses with awareness, and as each experience is allowed to flow through the point of focus without obstruction, we begin to get a glimpse of a profound simplicity. Everything is changing, everything is interdependent, and there is no one to whom any of it belongs. And this is that peacefulness, that third step in the third tetrad. He goes on just a little bit more here. This awareness is nothing special. It's natural. In fact, it may be the most natural, the only natural thing there is. There is no need to magnify it by saying, by saying it permeates the quantum soup of the cosmos or to cast it beyond time by calling it primordial or eternal. That is just the proliferation talking, right? Just more thinking. And he writes, if anything, it feels radically embodied, excruciatingly fragile, and entirely contingent. If a tiny microbe goes awry, or if some strand of genetic material gets misread, or even if you delay the in-breath by a few seconds, it can all fall apart in a blink of an eye. This too is just another story. Let's see if we can keep it simple. If we have to call it anything, let's call it a gift and leave it at that. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.